0: Who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. Hi, Victor. How are you doing today?
1: Hi, Catherine. I'm doing great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you and your listeners.
0: Yes, I'm excited to have you on Social Workers Rise, so thank you so much. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, who you are and, and what you do?
1: Wow, well, uh, I am a social worker, I'm a professional social worker, and I've been, uh, since I got my undergraduate degree in social work, I guess if you count that, I've been in social work for about 30 years, a little bit over, so... It's been a long time, but I think I look younger than I, I actually feel. Though I don't know if you can tell, Catherine. I'm looking at my do. pictures. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been, you know, I've been doing a lot of different things as a social worker. You know, I started off working with kids in an after-school program, uh, recreational program, and uh, I grew up in Chicago. So uh, my first job was in Milwaukee because I went to school at Marquette University, which is in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And uh, then after about a year and a half of working at that program, I moved here to California and I started working. I found a job in a group home and I worked various different jobs. Uh, I worked in a group home. I worked with, um, with, um, high schoolers who were, um, Having some difficulties um, with probation, who were on probation and and needed some work um, while they were going to school, going back to school to try to finish their high school degrees, and um, then I decided, and then I worked for the L.A. Regional Food Bank for a while, and I then I decided to go back and get my MSW, which I completed at Cal State Long Beach. And then after that, I worked for an agency called the Alliance for Children's Rights, which is in Los Angeles. And they're an agency that provides free legal services to children. And it was there, I I got to work with attorneys. They were all attorneys that worked there and I was the only social worker. So I I learned a lot about um, the law, especially when it came to child protective services, child abuse and neglect and things like that. And then I decided to go back to school and get my PhD. So I went back to school to USC, and I did a lot of uh, research on um, child welfare, child protective services, and um, and then I finished that my PhD and started teaching at Cal State Los Angeles. So that's kind of been my longest job in social work was teaching at Cal State LA since about 2002. So. I retired there, retired from full-time teaching, although I'm still teaching there part-time, and uh, now doing some consulting work in the community on uh, child abuse and neglect issues locally, and uh, as you know, uh, during that time, I was also uh, ran for city council here in my city of Artesia, which is about uh, 15 miles southeast of downtown Los Angeles in Los Angeles County. So I was a council member here for about a little almost twelve years. And uh and so I like to tell people now that I'm a recovering elected official.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Wow. So you have got you have experiences in a lot of different areas and different populations. That is is really fascinating. So I'm curious. Well, for, like, what are you doing right now? So, because you're a retired professor, what are you doing right now?
1: Yeah, so I'm still teaching part-time. Well, it doesn't seem part-time because I'm teaching five classes right now. And it's all online, of course. Um, here, are the Cal State University system was one of the first systems to say we're going online fully in the fall. So we're fully online. I'm teaching five courses, which is great. I love it. And teaching mostly macro practice of policy and um history of policies and um, uh, administrative practice and a child welfare class, so that's fun um and then you know since i um left e- elected office, I've kind of parlayed my network my um I guess my network that I developed over those twelve years to do some local consulting so I have been working with um, one of the local county supervisor's office to um, bring together a coalition of um, public and private um, organizations and agencies in my area to provide uh, resources and support to children and families who are in the foster care system. So we've been doing stuff like providing material goods like food, clothing, clothing, Um, we've had a couple of, um, instances of, um, I just had an email the other day about, um, a father who's, you know, trying to get his kids back and, um, but he needs housing. He's working, but he doesn't have housing. And so we're trying to find him, you know, a place, a low, an affordable place to live right now. Um, so we're doing, Kind of those material things but another exciting thing we just we're just on the verge of um, putting together is a mentoring program uh, we're bringing in an agency from long beach to do some mentoring uh, starting with middle school kids in uh, one of the local school districts so we're gonna um, the mentoring program helps kids um, to get to college or to, to either a four-year university or community college or even the military, or, um, or some type of vocational program. And they're gonna follow those, these kids all the way through uh, to whatever employment they end up getting. So that's really exciting because we know a lot of the the, the kids um, in our community that are under-resourced, um, which include foster kids, um, and also kids who are experiencing homelessness, they really need that type of academic support to, to be successful. So really excited about that. And um, as you know, I'm also the the president-elect of uh, NASW California Chapter, so of the Board of Directors. So this year I'll be the president-elect, but then starting in July of 2021, I'll be the president of the board, uh, and that's a three-year term. So I will be um, in a position to kind of help – Help, hopefully, help the California chapter grow and attend to the needs of our members here in California.
0: Wow, I have so many questions. Like, <laughs> so <many, so> <laughs> it's okay, we have
1: time. Right? It's only been seven minutes.
0: <laughs> right? Yeah, I know. So, <laughs> you know, so I wanted to first unpack, you know, the mentoring program that you mentioned. Because mm-hmm. you know that in itself just sounds so so interesting to me. Because I would imagine there's just so much that goes into it. Because you would have to research and partnership, and develop the well, curriculum, and then decide you know who or what kind of um, kids are going to be the best fit for it. Mm-hmm. And then also too, I'm thinking, and this is this is just you know. Out of curiosity,
1: mm-hmm. you mentioned
0: all of the different areas that that the goal is for them to go. But one mm-hmm. of the areas that was not mentioned is entrepreneurship. Sure, right. Entrepreneurial skills. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of wondering, you know, why is it that that, that area is not necessarily a, as big of a focus?
1: Right. You know, that's a great question. And and let me before I answer that specifically, let me I'll give you a little bit more of context, because you're right. All those questions that you asked about kind of developing this type of mentorship program. When we started when I started with this, we call it we call it the Downey Cares Collaborative because we started with this in the city of Downey, which is a city not too far from where I live. And uh, at the time I was on the city council here in Artesia, so I knew the incoming mayor of the city of Downey and I knew that he was the kind of guy that really wanted to help kids. So I approached him with this idea because, you know, as a social worker who had been on the city council for almost 12 years, I kept thinking to myself, you know, it's kind of strange that over the last 12 years that I've been on this council, I haven't run into any social workers from the county. Not from Department of Children and Family Services, not from Department of Mental Health, not from the Department of Health or Public Social Services or any of those county agencies, which I thought was kind of strange because as a a council member, I meet just about everybody else in the community. I meet business owners. I meet nonprofit folks. I meet meet constituents, obviously. you know, uh, parents and kids that are affiliated with the school system. I mean, all sorts of folks I've met over the years, uh, including other elected officials. But I, you know, never really ran into any social workers from from the county. So my thought was there are so many resources at the city level. I want to be able to connect those city resources to help the kind of families that we help in our communities. So I went to my friend in Downey and I said, listen, I said, you know, there are children that live in your city that are in the foster care system. And I pulled up some data that I found online, and I don't remember what the number was off the top of my head, but, you know, it was in the hundreds. And when I told him that there were these children that lived in the city that were in the foster care system, he just freaked out because he's like, I, he didn't, he wasn't aware there were so many kids living in the city that were in the foster care system. So that was how I engaged him. And I said, "Okay, if you want to help these kids, what we need to do is kind of bring resources together. You've got resources because you're a council member on the city of Downey. You know, people in business, you know, people in the nonprofit sector. So he's like, great. He brought all these people together. I brought people together that I knew. And that's what we started two years ago. And at the time. Uh, we had members from the local school district and what they said is that we need mentors for our kids. We had social workers who um, in the district who worked specifically with children who are experiencing homelessness as well as children who are in the foster care system. And they were telling, they had been telling me for the past couple of years, like we need a mentorship program for them. And of course I went through all the questions that you did I said, how and we all kind of sat down We said, how are we going to create a mentorship program? Because I was doing this kind of as a volunteer, you know, I wasn't getting paid to do this. And, uh, you know, my friend who was on the city council, he didn't have the kind of expertise to kind of develop the mentorship program at the time. And, the, you know, the social workers that are working in the district, you know, they don't have time to work on kind of developing these new programs. So we kind of let it sit there on the, on the back burner and trying to figure out how to do this. Well, luckily, my friend, his name is Rick Rodriguez, who is the uh, former mayor of Downey, he said um, he connected with an agency in Long Beach that actually has been doing this type of mentorship work in the city of Long Beach for over 25 years. So he introduced me to the agency, and I talked to the executive director, and they actually have social work interns that, um, that work with them every year. And they already have the curriculum, and they have they already know how to train the mentors. So, what we talked about last week was for them to to pilot a program in in the uh, in one of the middle schools. Well, now not in the middle school because of COVID, but they're going to identify middle school kids in the district, and hopefully, and uh, start and have them be a part of this curriculum. And then we, um, in the city of Downey, we would work on actually recruiting mentors. And then the agency that's coming in would actually train the mentors. So the beauty of it is that we didn't have to create anything. We just had to bring an agency that knows how to do that mentoring work and bring them in. And, uh, the executive director's Told me something last week that was music to my ear. She said, "Once we get this pilot going, I'm going to get the money. We're going to write the grants. We're going to do everything we can to fund this program." And I'm like, "Perfect." I mean, that's that's all that we could ask for. So it just kind of shows me that um, you know we don't have to keep we don't have to keep reinventing the wheel, right? If there's a service that you need, someone is providing that service somewhere. So how do we, you know, how do we bring people that have that expertise and bring that resource into communities that need them? And that's what the I think we're trying to demonstrate in this project that um, we can. There are resources out there that um, that we can bring together. It just takes uh, kind of a, um, a centralized. Uh, system to kind of bring all of these resources together
0: yes I love that so it's just such a perfect example of how you saw that there was a need you utilized your relationships you approached the council members to see you know hey what do you think about creating this mentorship there's this big need you did some a little bit of research to find out you know what the need was in their specific city to to make it relatable and relevant and relevant to them and, and get their interest peaked a little bit. And then absolutely. It sounds like you didn't necessarily know, you know, where to go or what to do, but you just, you did something, you took action, you did something, you used your resources and then you found someone already doing the work or you were connected with them and you learn from them, learn from their example and, and, um, did you use their program?
1: Well, we're we're in the, we just had a meeting with, between the agency and a couple social workers from the school district last week. So now the social workers from the district are going to summarize our meeting and they're going to go to their boss in the district who um, seems that he would be very um, much in favor of bringing this program in because it's not going to cost them anything. Right. That's the, be- <laughs> that's <laughs> so a big benefit. So um, I'm pretty sure that come January, we're going to have that program running and uh, you know, the, we have to start recruiting mentors now in the area we're targeting, you know, we're looking at, if we could start off with in January with like 50 kids Um that would be the capacity that they could handle. the agency can handle. So if we could start off with 50 kids, I think that would be, it would be uh, wonderful. So I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully uh, after the new year.
0: Yes. That's amazing. That is so amazing. I love that. So, I mean, one of the main objections I hear from people about doing something or fixing a problem is they just don't really know like what to do. They don't have all the answers. They don't have a plan. And my recommendation, I don't know if yours is different, but just do something, get started, right. do something. Once you put yourself out there, then it's amazing how how it just starts to fall in line and you get connected with people who who can help you and who are doing the work already that you can learn. From. Right.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Catherine. I think, you know, if I look back over my career thus far, over 35 years in social work, I mean, there's no way that I could have known, you know, back in 1985 when I got my bachelor's degree that I would be doing what I'm doing right now. There's no way. There's no way I could have planned for it. Even if I had laid it out on a, you know, on a timeline, there's no way I could have planned it out. So I think there's a lot that, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with kind of trusting yourself and and kind of trusting your gut. You know, if there's something, I think if there's something that really, you you find kind of burns inside of you, or you know you kind of have that that emotional reaction like this is something that I have to do, then I think you you know you do it, and you know whether it's what I found is that whether it's successful or not, um, that you'll learn something from it, and it's something that will help you in the future, you know, like for example. You know, I just got an email from a, a, a social work student who had heard um, a podcast that I had done. Uh, I think I told you about that with the University of Buffalo. And he was so excited to reach out to me because he was very interested in politics. And one of the things that he said was uh, that he asked me was, you know, if if somebody runs for office and they lose, you know, that could hurt their chances of getting elected. And then I wrote him back and I said, listen, you know, when I ran for off, I had to run twice for city council. I actually lost two times. And then on the third time I won. And then I was on the city council for almost 12 years. So what, what that taught me, what, you know, what I take from that is that, you know, I, I, and I learned a lot for the two, from the two times that I, that I lost, I learned a lot about the process. I learned a lot about how to, how to campaign, but it, I think all also it's it's a matter of timing. You know, sometimes it's not the best time for you to do something, but you you know you try anyways and you try to take something away from it. But I agree with you. I think you know, we let sometimes our insecurity and our fear prevent us from doing things, right? I mean, it's not like uh you know, when back in, you know, when we were uh roaming the earth And, uh, you know, having to be fearful because, uh, you know, a tiger was going to eat us or a lion was going to track us down. You know, the fear that we have these days is really not for our safety as much as our own. It's because we're trying to protect our own egos in, in wanting not to fail in something. But I think if we just move forward, like you said, if you if you have something in your gut that's telling you you have to do something, then do it. You're meant to go in that direction and, you know, when, when things come up, like I mentioned to you in my story, when something comes up, I mean, there's some, there have been times that I said, God, how am I going to do this? Well, you know, <laughs> how am I going to create a mentorship program? What am I going to, how am I going to meet the needs of these, these people and, and trying to bring all these people together to, and, and, but I just, I just trudge my way through it. And then lo and behold, something comes up where somebody says, Hey we want to help you or we want to join you or we have this resource to provide to you. Um, so, uh, I think it's, uh, we have to trust that, you know, we are on a certain path that, um, we'll never know what the end point is going to be of that path, right? We won't be able to see past that particular, um, event or that, uh, activity that, that, we want to engage in but trust that you know every step along the way is leading us to something that's going to be very very uh, profitable for us and for our and helpful to our clients in the future
0: yes yes that's so true and i definitely resonate with that i feel like everything that i've done in my social work career i didn't realize it at the time but it all was building and building upon each other and everything that i'm doing now i know is building for something bigger or different in the future and so you know it's true you just never know it but i what i have found over and over again is it's about the relationships that we have with other people yes mm-hmm. that really are are really the most powerful and and i've i've looked at a lot of successful people in our culture in our society and they get there because of their relationships, which is what what social workers are so great at, which is such an underutilized resource and strength that we have is our ability to connect and read people and create that relationship.
1: You're absolutely correct. That's something that that I um, you know, I start off when, when I'm teaching my policy classes, for example, with my students. And my first lecture is always, and everybody knows this, it's not who you know, it's not, no, it's not, sorry. It's not what you know, it's who you know, right? And we all know that, everybody knows that. Everybody knows that, um, that it's who you know, it's a network that you build that, that brings you, can help you to be successful. And, you know, people in all sorts of professions and know that, and of course, social workers know that as well. But what I think social workers see is that, um, you know, we have a a value, we place a value on relationships, but we limit it to our clients, right? But there's a value, as you said, in relationships with other professionals, other social workers, relationships with people in our communities, with elected officials. Um, That's something that I've been working on. Uh, and I'm going to continue to work on here in with NASW here in the California chapter. Is I want to I want to, especially now in this context where, a lot of social workers are talking about you know how do we, how do we work for structural change, and you know in my region we've had social workers that have come to meetings and saying listen. We're very concerned about the relationship of law enforcement and local, you know, and communities, uh, about the lack of investment in communities. And they wanna know how to change that. And from my point of view and my experiences, the only way to change that is, or the, you know, not the only way, but I think the the, the, the best way to change that is by getting involved in your community, by actually engaging people in your community, and engaging, um, one of the things that we're doing in our region is I'm helping social workers to to learn about local government and to engage their local elected officials. So it's those types of relationships that I think we need to look outside of our, our specialist bubbles that we create for ourselves and say, you know, we need to create relationships with people outside of Our specialty, we need to create relationships with people, um, diverse people in our communities and with relationships with people who have power and resources that um, that can help our clients in our communities. So I'm really excited about that. I think that that's our current moment, I think, is pushing a lot of social workers to see that they need to be more engaged.
0: Yes, yes, definitely. So when, you know, to be honest, I'll go to my city council meetings every once in a while, and they just seem very, you know, it's very formal. I don't, I don't know when to jump up. Do I raise my hand? Do I go up to the microphone? Like, what do I do? You know, what tips do you have for people to engage with their local leadership? And there's a kind of background noise going on. I'm not sure if yeah
1: there we go okay um well i this is what I tell you know when i when I talk to people about engaging in local government I mean the typical thing and the typical assignment in a social work class is go to a city council meeting right like you said when i what I tell my students is because I've been on a city council for almost twelve years, what I tell students are don't go to a city council meeting because as you know city council, it's like it's like someone. You know, it's like someone showing up to your agency and sitting in on a um, on a staff meeting where you're doing case consultation, right? Do you expect the regular person off the street to come into your, you know, case consultation staff meeting and understand what any everyone's talking about? No, no, no one. Unless you're, you know, unless you have an education in social work, you're not going to understand all the lingo, all the, you know, the terminology, the, the acronyms that we throw out, right? No one's going to understand that. It's the same thing with a city council meeting, right? And if you come to a council meeting, unless you know what you're looking for, or you understand the language or how things work, you're not going to get anything out of a council meeting, believe me. So... I, what I tell students are the best way to start to engage in your in what's happening in local government is to get to know your elected officials. Um, these people, for the most part, especially if you're talking about local government in a smaller city, right? Um, of course, if you're if you live um, uh, like in this area in California, if you're talking about the big cities like Los Angeles or Long Beach or You know, it might be a little bit more difficult, but but still not still can be accomplished. But these city council folks are people that live in the same place that you live because they have to live in your community. So what I tell my students is do your research on your city council. People go onto the website, read up on their bios, find something that you have in common with those folks and then reach out to them. You know, now of course with COVID, you know people a little bit um, more um, weary about meeting face to face. But when I was on the council, if somebody were to contact me and say, "Hey, I want to find out what's going on in the community. Uh, I live here in the community. I want to help. I want to do my part." You know, I would meet with them very, very quickly. So. I think that's the best way, just to reach out directly to to the elected officials.
0: Okay, so so we're going to do our research, go on the website, find out, um, you know, find a commonality that I might have with them. So does this right. commonality, I'm guessing it would be centered around, does it have to be centered around a problem?
1: Or? Well, that's a great question, Catherine, because... Um, what what I would what I usually tell people is don't go into these relationships um, with the intent to complain about things, because I don't know if this was your experience when you went to a city council meeting, Catherine. But um, some when there's usually a public comment time at a council meeting is when you get people who get who stand up and all they do is complain about everything that's happening in the city. Now imagine if. You know, you, you know, someone came to your office and knocked on the door and sat down and started complaining about things, right, all the time. It's not, you know, it doesn't engender your <laughs> your goodwill to want to help people. Now, of course, we're social workers, so we're different. But mm-hmm. uh, generally, people don't want to listen to complaints. And so what I found with city council people, just like, you know, we would in any professional relationship, you know, when we want to... We, when we want to create a a good professional relationship with people, we don't come in with a negative attitude, you know, wanting to complain to them. We try to find something, um, in common. So it could be that, you know, you look on the council person's website and it says something that, you know, they're on the board of directors of a domestic violence shelter. And you might say, Hmm, okay, I'm a social worker, but I might not be, you know, that may not be my specialty, but I'm a social worker and I know about domestic violence. So I'm going to reach out to this council member and say, Hey, I'm a social worker. I notice that you're uh, on the board of a domestic violence agency, you know, and I'd love to talk to you about, you know, what are some of the issues going on in the city that I could help you with. Right. Mm -hmm. It'd be something like that, or it's, it could be as, it could be a um, someone who's a teacher. Or someone, and a lot of times you'll find business owners, you'll find uh, attorneys, perhaps. Um, but there's always something in there, and especially since these people live in their community. I mean, I've had students do this, and they say, "Oh, I didn't know that." You know, this this council member went to the same high school that I went to, or you know, their 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 child. You know, their daughter and I went to middle school together, right? So there's all, all sorts of ways that you can find out what you might have in common with these elected officials. You'd be surprised to see. But of course, you know, we're that's something that we're good at as social workers. As you said, you know, we know how to, you know, get our foot in the door and create those relationships. So, you'll, you know, I think you'll be able to find something that you could uh, uh, connect with with these elected officials
0: that makes sense i mean it's it sounds like we want to approach this from a place of collaboration because you're right when people come to me with all of the complaints i know i know what they're complaining about i know and i'm doing my best to alleviate these problems and then when i asked them i said okay well you know what do you suggest or do you have any any input on how we can solve these problems they'll say no <laughs> that's your job right. to figure out. And so right. okay, well, we're back at square one because right. we still have the problems and I'm still trying to figure out how to fix it. And if you have recommendations, I would love to hear how we could do it better. Um and then, you know, coming from a place of like you said assistance and offering to help and collaborate.
1: That's a great point because I think, you know, many times especially when you're you're on a city council, Uh, you know, the vast majority of people really don't know what's going on in the city at that, at, at a city council level. So as a city council person, you have access to all this information that, that most people don't have access to. And, uh, it is for when I was on the council, it was, it, it was so good for someone to come to me and say, I want to help because, um, because I think that's how democracy should work, right? It shouldn't be, a, it's a representative de- democracy in that you have to vote for me to represent you, but that doesn't, I don't think that means that you're giving up all of your your responsibility as a constituent and just leaving it to me because if I, if I made a decision that you didn't agree with, you might not vote for me the next time around. Right. So Mm -hmm. there is, there is an implied relationship there. So wouldn't it be better if we work together so that, you know, you could get what you wanted for the community. And then if, if you get what you want for the community, then you'll look at me favorably and you'll want to reelect me to the council. So it's a win-win situation, right? If you're, if you come in with complaints and, and problems and, you know, it, to me, it's like, okay, you, you're just, you just want to complain and leave and just leave it on my lap, like you said. Well, guess what? I've got 50 other things on my desk that I have to do, right? But if you're willing to come with some solutions and you can, you can help me figure out solutions that would be easy to implement or not easy, but that, that I could, that are feasible, right that we can work on together and maybe you could bring some of your neighbors or other people in the community that are that are interested then that's a win-win situation right and i think that's those are definitely possible scenarios that could occur if we approach it in that way
0: mhm for sure yep and so i'm wondering you know how do social workers get involved in policy how do we make that transition from you know, BSW or MSW, which is primarily clinically focused There's some macro tracks, but how do we even get into that realm and what advice would you have for someone wanting to get involved in politics?
1: Right. where well, there, there are a lot of different ways to do that. Some of the ways I've already talked about, um, already, and that is to making connection with people that are elected. Um, one of the ways that the first ways that I got involved in politics was, um, you know, right now, we're you know less than two months before uh, an election, and so election time is a good play is a good time to get to learn about politics, some of the um, the specifics about um, campaigning, and fundraising, um, and getting pe- learning how to register people to vote, uh, doing phone phone banking. Uh, I even just found out the other day that people are now texting. You know, they're doing texts to try to get people to vote, you know, and things like that. So there are all these different things that, that campaigns are doing. And so now is a good time. If you want to learn about the, the nuts and bolts of a, a political campaign, now is a good time to get involved. Um, and I think the other way, I think, as I mentioned earlier, and you also mentioned it as well, is really just building the relationships with, with people who are in that space, If you, uh, I know social workers that are working for elected officials, so maybe you don't want to run for office, right? Because, you know, it's not for everybody, but I know social workers that are working for elected officials. You know, they may be uh, working in their local office. Um, They may be, I know social workers that work chief of staff of offices. I know social workers that work uh, as uh, staff members in Sacramento, which is the, you know, the state government capital here in California um, and, and all over. So there are a lot of different ways to, to kind of get into politics. So I think that would be creating the relationships of the people that are doing the type of work that you would see yourself doing. Then you need to go out and kind of create relationships with those people. Um, of course, there are advocacy organizations, too. So if there are particular issues that you're concerned about, like, uh, you know, child abuse or domestic violence or human trafficking or homelessness or any of the issues that we work on as social workers, you know, look look up an advocacy organization. Go to their website and see how you can get involved um, and make connections at that organization because that's a good way to do it as well.
0: I love that. Yeah, that's, it makes it very very simple. I like the way you, you know, provide some clear guidance on that. And I feel like that really overlaps with, you know, the next question as far as if you have any advice for new social workers who are just starting out, um, did you have anything to add?
1: Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, let me, let me, add. Um, let me add this and I, I kind of alluded to it earlier and that is that, um, you know, and, I, and I've, I've told this to, to, to my students and other people that I've worked with in, the, in this in this arena, and that is, um, you know, just get out there and network. Just network, network, network. And there's so many venues um, where you can do that. You know, I was fortunate, as I mentioned um, earlier in my experience, uh, especially when I was an elected official, to have networked with so many people and have met so many people I've met so many people in this space um, that it's um, it's been it's been great getting to meet people, obviously, but also to meet people that are in positions that can, you know, that have been able to help me to do the work that I want to do in the community. So um, I think networking would be the most important thing. One of the things that helped me, I know I mentioned NASW earlier, and uh, since I'm the president-elect of the chapter, I'll, I'll just put in a quick pitch to, you know, to look at being a member of NASW, because um, NASW, as a member, I was telling this to somebody the other day, to one of my students, I said, if you want to pay your, you want to pay your fee and be a member, and you just want to sit there and wait for something to happen, then I would say, don't waste your money. Mm -hmm. Okay, but if you're gonna, if you're gonna pay, because as a professional, it's a pretty hefty fee, you know, it's like, like over $200, I think, a year. To to join as a member, uh, that but if you're going to use that membership to connect with people, to connect with other social workers, to be to volunteer to be a part of the governance of the chapter, or even at the national level. I mean, I've I've held all sorts of positions in NASW, not only at the chapter level but also nationally. I got to be I got to serve for three years on the national board of directors. I've served on PACE committees, you know, to endorse candidates for, not just for federal office, but also for, uh, for statewide office in California and local office. Um, I've got to plan conferences. I got to, you know, go to conferences and meet social workers from up and down the state and all over the United States. So I think that there's um, a value uh, to being a member if you decide that you're going to use it as a, as a means to engage and contribute um, your time and, and then reap the benefits of the, of the network that you create with other social workers from around the country. So my, my biggest advice, like, like I said, Catherine, is just get out there and network and just meet as many people as you can, because you never know who's going to be able to help you later on or, um, and uh, or, or or at least be uh, be a great referral or resource for you for your clients.
0: Yes, yes. So I'm curious because there's you know been talk around on social media that that NASW has been you know kind of out of step with the social workers message. How responsive do you feel that NASW is if people were to send in you know emails or letters or Try to connect, and like we said, collaborate, and and try to figure out solutions. You know, do you feel like that's something that NASW encourages and wants, or at least in the California realm, because that's what you can speak to, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I could definitely speak to the California realm, but I think uh, you know, overall, as an NASW member, and I've 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 posted this on a couple of. (laughs) <laughs> at a couple of places, because I, I know what you're talking about. And I've read some of the, 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 um, the um, you know, some of the chat and the the posts that are going back and forth and regarding NASW. Um, and what I would say, and what I've told people is this, NASW is a membership organization association, right? So NASW is only as responsive as the members of the association that make the association what they want it to be. So the association is the membership, right? Yes, there is an apparatus of governance. There are, you know, we have paid staff members in DC. We have paid people in our chapters that do the day-to-day work of the association. But the um, the governance of the association is the membership. And I had mentioned to um, to a fellow social worker, uh, I made a post saying that you know, when I was when I started as a as a member in NASW in somewhere around 1993, um, it took me probably about let's see 93, uh, probably about 20 years. To actually get to the point where I could serve, you know, I got myself to, to the point where I could serve on the national board of directors. And when I was on the national board of directors, I was there when the executive director, the the executive director that was there at the time retired and the current executive director or CEO, Dr. McLean is the current CEO. So I was there in the process of getting to hire him as a CEO. So that's, and I'm, you know, I'm saying that because um, we have to look at structural change as a long-term proposition. It's not something that can be solved within a matter of weeks or months or years. It takes time for things to change. Um, It takes time for structures to change. A structure like NASW, it's going to take time to change, but we're in a point of transition now because a lot of our members just looking at the demographics of the membership of NASW, many of them are baby boomers, right? So I'm like, (laughs) I'm actually on the, on the, on the, at the end of the baby boomers, even though my kids refer to me as a baby boomer, Mm -hmm. I'm really kind of at the tail end of baby boomers, but a lot of baby boomers are, you know, they're getting older and they're dropping their memberships. So and they're leaving NASW. So who's gonna, who's gonna take up the mantle when all of the baby boomers start retiring, when more of them start retiring and not renewing their membership? Who's gonna, who's gonna be left to create the NASW that we want NASW be, to be for us now and for us in the future? It's the members, right? It, because if you can't get involved in the structure of the organ of the association if you're not a member, so if you're on the outside saying that NASW needs to change, but all you're doing is staying outside, then it's really not going to change. Mm-hmm. It's only going to change when people when people are organized on the inside to say we want something different, right? And then we can make the changes that we want mm-hmm. to see at time, but you know it takes time takes time to do it.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it definitely sounds like, again, with the same structure, if you have a complaint or you see that something is wrong, then, you know, get involved, collaborate, figure out how to fix it and also offer your help. I mean, social workers are extremely, extremely educated and knowledgeable and we're spectacular (laughs) advocates for everyone else. And now it's time to make this shift that we need to be advocates for ourselves too. So I really, you know, I really appreciate you sharing all of this insight. Um, was there anything else that, that we wanted to cover?
1: Um, I, th- I think that's it. I just want to add to, you know, what you just said. You know, the other day, um, you know, I think we're at a time now, you know, because of, the, you know, the, because of our ability to communicate, Um, that, you know, we can connect with people all over the place. Uh, You know, there was a student um, who was uh, in an MSW program, and and, uh, he posted something on the NASW message board, um, and he was interested in policy. So I contacted him, and then he contacted me. And he said, hey, um, I've got a group of people here in Florida that are interested in immigration issues. Do you want to come in and talk to us about what you're doing here in California? I said, sure. So I, you know, I I got to spend an hour with social workers from Florida to talk about what they're dealing with um, in the state of Florida. And I see that as a, you know, and I know that you and your your podcast reaches so many people across the country. I think we just have an opportunity. There's no reason why we should be on the outside, right? Mm-hmm. We should be kind of connecting with one another, especially as, as social workers, we should be connecting with each other and saying, what can we, now's the time when we can really come together, really, you know, uh, come together, uh, even across you know, across geographical boundaries that used to divide us, right? Like here in LA, like, you know, if I had to drive more than that, you know, if I had to drive to the other side of LA County to go to the meeting, I wouldn't go. Mm -hmm. Right. But now I can meet with social workers all over LA County just by sitting here on, you know, in front of my laptop. So I, I think, I think there's an opportunity for us to connect with one another and to say, what can we do together? Because we know that when we join together, we could do much more than by just sitting here alone and trying to figure out what to do, right? So let's take an opportunity, take this opportunity to, to, to connect with one another and see how we can work together and build these coalitions to, you know, to make the type of change that we want to see uh, in this world.
0: Yes, yes, I completely agree. and And I've always been really kind of surprised since I started Social Workers Rise. And I'll reach out to other people who I admire. I respect their work. They're doing amazing things. And honestly, I'll, I'll reach out to them on Instagram and say, Hey, Victor, I really like what you're doing. I admire your work. You know, would you would you be open to networking with me or, or talking with me via Zoom for 30 minutes? And I have not had one person tell me no. People are just mm you know, yeah. they're very open to connecting and networking. And, you know, honestly, if I did get a no, then, then I'd be like, okay, well, you know, it just maybe not a good fit right now, but there's probably a lot more people who, who might be willing to connect and that I can learn from. So, um, right. So my recommendation Absolutely. is if there is somebody or some, somewhere that you want to go or work that you want to do, find someone doing that work in the field connect with them, send them a genuine compliment or a comment, and ask them questions, you know, like, how did you get started? What inspired you? You know, do you have any tips for me? I find that people are very open to, to sharing and teaching.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I was thinking about this this morning as I was kind of, uh, you know, uh, kind of uh, anticipating our discussion. And I remember, way back when, gosh, I think I was still a social uh, like an MSW student, that I met a woman who um, was running for Congress in, out on the East Coast. I don't remember which state it was, somewhere like, like Connecticut or somewhere uh, around there. And I remember ma- meeting with her and she was doing, um, she was doing a, um, a presentation at a conference that I, that I was at. And I remember she said, you know, during her presentation, she said, how many of you have ever thought about running for office? And I raised my hand and I looked around. I was the only person that was raising my hand in the room. <laughs> and so afterwards, she said, she came up to me. She said, would you mind, um, you know, sitting, sitting down and having a chat with me afterwards? I said, no, no, that'd be fine. And, and we sat down and started talking. And she told me, you should run for office. You would be, you would be great to run for office. And when I, th- I thought about that this morning and I said, you know, I can't even remember her name but she was probably one of the first people that really kind of put it in my mind thinking I could run for office and to have someone who was actually running for office herself, even though she had never, she wasn't had one, but she was a social worker. So she was the first person that kind of put it in my head that I could do that. And I think there are a lot of social workers out there that would love to be contacted by a social worker. Who's just starting out. Um, like the email I told you about a little while ago, um, he reached out to me cause he was so excited to, to find that there was a social worker in politics and I'm, you know, and I spent, I spent some time this morning responding to his email. I think there are a lot of us who have, you know, 30, 35, even more years of experience who are more than happy to speak, um, with anyone, any, any social worker, but certainly newer social workers. Cause we, you know, like someone did for me. I want to be able to pass along the benefit of my knowledge and experience as well so that we as a profession can keep moving forward and growing strong and um, being able to make change like we want to do as social workers.
0: Yes. Yes. So where can people find you and get in contact with you?
1: Well, I have, um, there are a number of ways. I have a website. Um, it's victormanalo.com and uh or uh, through my email, they can reach me at victor at victormanalo.com dot com but I'm also on facebook I have a facebook page um and I also have an instagram and this morning I think i uh i re reactivated my twitter so i'm trying I'm trying to be <laughs> I'm, try- I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get more recent. But I, you know, I, I threatened my kids that I was going to do TikTok, and they, they all started saying, "No, Dad, no!" I said. Okay. So, uh, anyways, I've, I'm, I'm sure, Catherine, you'll have all that information, and you, kn- you know, how to contact me. So, if anyone wants to get a hold of me, they can. Uh, I'm sure they could contact you as well.
0: Yep. Yep. All of your links and contact information will be in the show notes. And with that, it was so great talking with you, Victor. Thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate you and everything that you're doing. Thank you,
1: Catherine. The same goes for me as well. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad that we connected with one another and uh, I look forward to working with you and trying to kind of increase uh, the social work presence, not just in the, you know, through social media, not just in California, but I think we as social workers need to increase our presence you know, all over the place and, and show people and tell people about all the great work that we do. So thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a great pleasure and I look forward to working with you.
0: Oh yeah. You're not going to get rid of me very easily.
1: <laughs> <laughs> great. I look forward to hearing hopefully from some of your, uh, your listeners. I'd love to connect with them as well. So feel free to contact me.
0: Thank you so much. Take care. All right, Catherine. Bye. Being a new social worker, clinician, or therapist can be intimidating when there's people coming to you for their therapy and looking to you for help. I know when I graduated with my master's, I had all of this education behind me. I have so many classes, and yet I still didn't know where to start. I wasn't very confident in my skills in how do I actually guide this person through the therapeutic process. What does that really look like in real life? So I was trying to organize all of my notes from grad school, trying to get all of my textbooks, and it was just a hot mess. Right out of grad school, you are expected to provide mental health services for new patients. Your employer wants you to create a care plan, and they expect you to have professional-sounding documentation. I mean, you have your master's, right? That's an expectation after grad school. But sometimes, these aren't really covered in grad school, I don't know about you, but I never took a documentation class. This was all learned in the field. And eventually, I did learn it, but it took me a long time. When I first started, I was just all in my head, where do I even start? Can I do this? Who am I to help this person? I don't really remember them covering this in grad school, and how... Am I supposed to professionally document what I'm doing? Or even worse, you don't even apply for the jobs that you're qualified for because you're too intimidated. So I was there too, and it took me years of trial and error to figure all of this out. And even with an amazing supervisor, it was still a struggle. So this is the way that it has been going in social work until now. Things are about to change because it should not take you years to learn how to guide a client through the therapeutic process. So this is why I teamed up with my colleague Leslie. So we have taken what we have learned and condensed it into six hours for you. We cover all of the things that may not have been taught in grad school, maybe you weren't paying attention, or maybe you just need a refresher. It's taken from our perspectives as community mental health and medical social work experts. So in the Clinical Essentials for Future Therapists, we cover all of the things that you need to know to take your clients from beginning to end through the therapeutic process. We start with how to complete an initial assessment and what do you cover in your initial assessment. We next go into professional documentation. What are you supposed to be including in your notes? And how do you word the interventions that you just used? The therapy modalities and how to find yours. How to use... The cognitive model in therapy sessions for maximum impact. Next, we do cover therapeutic skill sets for powerful therapy sessions in case you get stuck or in case you just need to dig a little bit deeper in with your client. And lastly, termination, terminating with your client in a healthy and efficient way. All of this is covered. In our virtual course and coaching hybrid. It's pre-recorded, so you can watch it whenever you can. We know that you are a busy student, busy professional. There's a lot going on, so we pre-recorded it for you so that you can watch it on your own time. And in addition, the best part is that We also include live Zoom calls that you can talk with Leslie and I, ask your questions, and see a role play of the therapy modalities and a role play of the things that are covered in the module so that you don't just know the information, but you have seen the information actually put into progress. It just allows for a more personal and unique experience so that by the end of the course, you feel more confident and you know at least where to start with your clients and you feel like you have the tools that you need to really guide them through an effective therapeutic process. So this is for you if you are a new graduate entering a therapeutic role If you are a professional who may be new to one-on-one clinical therapeutic settings, maybe you're pursuing a career change from macro to a clinical setting, and you just need a refresher. This is also good for clinicians who are already working one-on-one with clients, but you want to learn other forms of the therapeutic applications. This is also for you if you are a clinician who wants to connect, network, and get more support from other social workers in the field. If this sounds like something that would be helpful for you, see the show notes for the link to register. Registration is open September 20th. I hope to see you there. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Social Workers Rise. If you loved it, write a review and give us five stars wherever you listen to your podcast. This just helps other people just like you find us and join our community. Also, I would love to connect with you on Instagram. You can find me at Social Workers Rise. I can't wait to see you next week. Bye.